You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. IoT botnets may best be considered an instance of a more general problem with poorly secured endpoints. Good digital hygiene can be good digital citizenship. IoT device recalls follow the DDoS against Dyn. Attribution of the attacks remains up in the air. Clapper looks at multinational hackers. Jester looks at Russia. And Russia looks at Jester and sees Vice President Biden. And yes, John McAfee is looking at North Korea. Stay tuned. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, October 25th, 2016. Security cameras and Soho routers formed the better part of the Mirai botnet herd that stampeded through Dyn at the end of last week. One IoT vendor, Will Price, founder of Simple Control, told CE Pro that it's misleading to call this DDoS incident an Internet of Things problem. He would rather understand it as a problem with vendors releasing products that aren't properly secured, an issue that's certainly not confined to the IoT. As he put it, quote, The budding Internet of Things has no more to do with this than the advent of the Internet caused Windows XP security problems. End quote. He's got a point, but the combination of widespread deployment, weak security, and user inattention do seem to make the IoT particularly vulnerable to this sort of exploitation. Ray Rothrock, CEO and chairman of cybersecurity analytics company Red Seal, told the CyberWire that, quote, the reality is that the millions of systems and things connected to networks and each other create unprecedented capabilities for both good and harm, end quote. He thinks the problem is a species of the genus endpoint insecurity and that the proper response should involve putting network security controls in place to limit the effects of such attacks. We also heard from Eldon Sprickerhoff, founder and chief security strategist of cybersecurity firm eCentire, who offered some advice to users of the kinds of devices implicated in the attacks. Because so many basic devices are now Internet-enabled and connected, it's too easy for their users, and that means most of us, to overestimate their default security. No one wants their devices herded into a botnet. It's poor digital hygiene and citizenship, the virtual equivalent of spitting on the sidewalk, and it can also affect your own systems in unpleasant ways. Sprickerhoff recommends taking at least the following measures with your security system, your router, your baby monitor, with all those things at home that quietly and routinely touch the Internet. First, change device passwords and use different complex passwords for each different system. Next, ensure you've upgraded to the newest firmware available. And finally, restrict external access to home devices with firewalling, disabling remote access capabilities, and things like that. One manufacturer, Hangzhou Shomai Technology, which produces components widely used in digital video recorders and network security cameras, has acknowledged that vulnerabilities in its products were exploited in the DDoS attacks on Dyn. 
They're recalling thousands of devices to aid remediation of the vulnerability. Attribution of the Dyn attack still remains unclear. We heard a lot of speculation Saturday at the U.S. Army and NATO-sponsored PSYCON event in Washington that a nation-state was behind the attacks, and pretty much everyone was looking at you, Russia. But in truth, not only is it difficult to disentangle state-sponsored activity from organized crime, but the Mirai Code has been freely available for some time. The Washington Free Beacon said that U.S. Director of National Intelligence Clapper told it the incident was the work of a multinational hacker group. He didn't elaborate, but other sources suggested to the Free Beacon and others that this was more a case of vandalism than it was a nation-state attack. One apparent patriotic hacktivist, Jester, is convinced the Russians are coming. He, she, or they sent Russia a message by defacing an old foreign ministry site, and the Russian foreign ministry was not amused, suggesting darkly that one might well perceive the hidden hand of Vice President Biden behind Jester. Last week at Cyber Maryland, we sat down with Malcolm Harkins, Chief Security and Trust Officer at Silence, to get his opinions, strong ones it turns out, on the state of the cybersecurity industry, particularly when it comes to taking risks. I believe that, you know, losers quit when they're tired, winners quit when they've won. I think we've quit on the attempt to win this stuff and capitulated to, I think, a broad industry notion that compromise is inevitable versus the notion that attempt to compromise is inevitable. And I don't think you can fully eliminate the risk, but I do think many people have given up on the ability to prevention, and that's a shame. Where, where do you think this, this, uh, this attitude of surrender comes from? Well, a couple things. One is, for years and years and years, the degradation of the effectiveness for security solutions has been occurring. And we've all experienced it. I've experienced it. And so I think there's a confirmation bias, so to speak, that because that's happened for a long time, we have to accept that that's the only solution or the only approach, in which case we default to defect- detection and response. And I'm a former business guy and got a background in economics. And when you think about it, the security industry itself profits from the insecurity of computing. Mm-hmm. And one could argue then logically, for profit motives, the vast majority of the industry, not all of it, but a, a, a substantial portion of it grows because of the insecurity of computing and the problems that occur. So economically, what do we think has happened? Well, the vast majority of the industry has come out with detection and response capabilities because that's where people were anchored in, and that's where they would like you to continue to believe you have to be. And I don't think you, as I said before, you can fully eliminate risk, but I think we can do a far better job of preventing a substantial portion of the risks that we're experiencing. We should absolutely constantly pursue perfection. It's okay to win ugly. And sometimes, you know, having <laughs> been in the security industry a long time, I've won ugly a lot. And some of that is, is being more of a risk taker. So, you know, again, if you're in the security role and you're in for information risk role, how often are you taking risks? Your, your job oh. is to to, in many ways, manage people from taking risks. And sometimes you have to take a risk on a newer technology, a newer approach, a newer thought in order. So you kind of have to run to the risky thing in order to manage the risk. But is risk-taking rewarded in this industry? 
I, in in some ways, unfortunately, no. And it's and it's again a cultural underpinning. Yeah. Right. Um, but in many ways, and again, part of the dialogues that that we had even in the panel I was on today on on C suite concerns, businesses are in the job of managing risk. When you launch a new product, when you build a new building, when you when you go and enter a new market, that's risk taking. It's financial risk taking. And so businesses are in the business of taking risk. And those that manage those risks the best are generally the ones who win. That's Malcolm Harkins from Silance. And finally, antivirus pioneer, security gadfly, and sometime, we think, presidential candidate John McAfee says he knows who done it. North Korea done it. He bases this attribution on what he describes as dark web chatter. But commenters on the web have taken a tell-it-to-the-marines attitude toward this. John can sometimes pop off like the much-beloved but eccentric uncle at the Thanksgiving table, like the time he said he had a team of digital ninjas who could unlock an iPhone even if the FBI couldn't. Maybe yes and maybe no. But in the case of attributing the Mariah attacks, the story is still, as they say, developing. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Uh, Joe, you know, we've been seeing these stories about IoT botnets. Um, I thought it might be interesting for you and I to just kind of go through sort of inventory, what are the typical IoT types of devices that people have in their homes, in their offices? Because some of them are surprising. I mean, let's start with the obvious one, the the cameras. That's uh, right. That's yeah. the one that gets all the press. The security cameras or uh, the doorbell cameras that people uh, see ads on TV for now. You think about them as, as providing a stream, a video stream out to the world. You know, if you haven't taken the t- to time to go through and change the default password, then it's probably op- open to everybody yeah. to see. And uh, as we've seen with the uh, recent botnet that took down 
Krebs site uh, to even exploit and uh, make your make your camera part of a botnet. Yeah, and I, and I think a, a point to make with the with the Krebs botnet attack was that that was all done with um, default passwords. Default passwords. That's right. Every device on that on that botnet, according to the people we've spoken to, was was all default passwords. So job one, when you get any IoT device, or any device really in general that right. connects to yeah. your network or the internet, change the change default the password. password. <laughs> uh, but you know, there were other devices involved with that, that that I hadn't really thought of. And the main one for me was DVRs. Right. Yeah, you and I were talking before before the show, and, and I was thinking about smugly saying, well, I don't have very many or any... Uh, Internet of Things devices in my house, but I do have a DVR. Not only do I have a DVR, but I have another cable box in my house that I I think also runs a Linux operating system that uh, can access the DVR. They're they're networked together. They're inside my house. They have obvious ways to get outside to get the content that gets downloaded. Those are Internet of Things devices. Yeah, and and again with this Krebs thing, the uh, the, the the code that they would put in the DVR lived in the DVR's RAM. So if you rebooted the DVR, it would get wiped out. But right. how often do you reboot your DVR? Yeah. I don't know that. I mean, when the power goes out in the house, that's when my DVR gets rebooted. Right. Exactly. I, I think the only way I know how to reboot my DVR is by yanking the power cord out of the back of it and letting it sit there for a minute and then plugging it back in. Just like when you when you have a, a technical support call, that's the first thing they tell you to do with all the hardware right. in your house. Right. 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 Other devices, though, I mean, you know, we're starting to see uh, sort of one, ones that make me scratch my head. I, I see Samsung has an internet-enabled stove. Right. What could go wrong? Uh, yeah. What could be? <laughs> what could go wrong with a high-temperature, unmonitored high-temperature device uh, connected to the internet? I was. Uh, I was at the. Uh, <laughs> That's an excellent question. <laughs> I was at the Financial Crypto Conference in February, and uh, one of the keynote speakers was Adi Shamir, who's the S in RSA. Mm-hmm. And one of his statements was that this this Internet of Things phenomenon is really going to present the hugest security problem that we've seen in a long time. He said it's just going to blow up in our faces, I think. So, I mean, how many devices were involved in that Krebs on, uh, on security bot- botnet that was... Bordering on millions. Bordering on millions of devices. And, you know, these devices are all cheap, readily available, and they come with uh, essentially commodity operating systems running on on hardware that is significantly more powerful than was available 20 years ago. Even if your device was was, uh, taking part in this botnet, you might not notice the the functionality of the, the device may not be interrupted at all. Right, yeah. The the device keeps running, uh, so you, you may not ever even even notice that you've got a problem all right joe so get a new device change that password that's right all right good talking to you my pleasure struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity don't worry you're not alone Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. 
Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K Cyberwire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.